Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast. We're so excited you've joined us again today. In this episode, Matt Proctor discusses the shrinking ministry pipeline, contributions to the kingdom. In this session, Matt discusses how the need for pastors is really great, but few young people are wanting to join into ministry. He talks about how sometimes a person's greatest contribution to the kingdom may be who you raise up and speak into, not what you do. This is really great insight from Matt. We really hope that you get a a lot of great inspiration from this podcast today and can take it and enrich your life and your ministry. Hey, good afternoon. I'm so glad you're here. I want to go ahead and get started. I hate to kind of interrupt your your visiting and your fellowship, but I know that schedule-wise, they're running a little behind here. And so just to honor your time and redeem our time, um, if it's okay, let's jump in. Everybody get on that? Outstanding. They tell me we have till 3.15. So uh, I want to make sure I I come to a hard stop right there at 3.15 and let you get on to the other things for the day. Um, Let me introduce myself to begin with. My name is Matt Proctor. Uh, I serve as president of Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. And uh, the topic of this breakout session here, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, is the shrinking ministry pipeline. So I hope this is where you intended to be because it's where you're at. And uh, for those of you who don't know Ozark Christian College, let me say just a brief word about that. Um, we are uh, associated with the independent Christian churches, and we are a classic Bible college. We're focused Bible college. We're in our 81st year. Uh, what that means is uh, that our one thing is training men and women for Christian service. So 100% of our degrees are Bible and ministry degrees. Uh, we have about 700 students, undergrad and grad, and, uh, you know, have 20,000 graduates now uh, all around the world, you know, all 50 states, over 100 countries around the world, they've taken the gospel. So, so like, this is what we do, is try to fill the ministry pipeline. And uh, I'm really glad to get to be with you and share uh, about this. And honestly, um, before I even talk about the, the workshop, we'd just like to say, thanks for coming to Renew. Um, I, I don't know if, the, how many of you, this is your first time to been, to be, oh, so a lot of you, Awesome. Well, I just want to encourage you. This is a great gathering and just a great network of people to get connected with. And, um, let me, let me kind of put it this way. So Ozark Christian College, that's Joplin, Missouri. Now you may remember that uh, May 22nd, 2011, there was an EF5 tornado that swept through our community. I could tell you lots of stories about that. Um, but devastating. 161 lives lost, 8,000 homes destroyed. And, um, our, our house, my family's house, fortunately was not at all hit by the tornado. We were on the north side of town, uh, but we had some dear friends whose house was hit by the tornado. They were fine, but they needed some place to live while their house was being rebuilt. Now, uh, so they actually moved in to live with us for about four months while their, while their home was being fixed. Here's what you need to know. My wife, Katie, and I, we have six children, all right? Uh, the family that moved in to live with us for four months, they have nine children. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are like doing the math in your head right now. You're like nine plus six. And yes, I had a thousand kids living in my house. They were literally everywhere. In fact, I brought a picture. Uh, there we go. They're, they were crawling out of woodwork. All right. And uh, in fact, at one point, my daughter, Lydia, during this time, uh, was with some of her little girlfriends. And these girls were talking about what they collect. And one little girl said she collected coins. Another little girl said she collected uh, stuffed animals. Somebody turned to my daughter, Lydia, said, Lydia, what do you collect? And she said, I collect brothers and sisters, all right? And that is honestly, that's what I feel like Renew is awesome for. Um, that this is a place to, to be challenged, to hear some great content. Man, we've heard some great messages today. 
But it's a great place to just collect some new brothers and sisters, to make some connections. And so I hope in the cracks and the crevices of the schedule that you're just introducing yourself to people and, and taking advantage of a gathering like this to, to collect some new brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I want to pray, then we're going to jump in. All right, let's go to the Lord. Father God, you are so kind and gracious. And we thank you for your word. We're going to look at that together. And I pray that um, you would speak to us about this very topic of um, uh, preparing the next generation to lead your church. And Father, I, I pray that you'll help us use our time well, that there'll be something um, convicting, something practical uh, that these brothers and sisters can take away today. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's start with a quote from Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley one time said this. He said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Hmm. Um, this was a few years ago. I had a friend named Chris Duncan who came to preach in the chapel at the Bible college where I serve. And Chris was serving on staff at the church in Las Vegas. And during his message in chapel that day, uh, he told a story uh, about a man that he had been able to baptize at their uh, church in Vegas just the week before. And, uh, and, and we're actually, um, we're going to call this, this isn't it? the man's name was, was Mike. Uh, but we're actually going to call him Mike the Homeless Guy because as Chris told this story, he told us that uh, Mike was a, a 50-year-old gentleman who was living homeless on the streets of Las Vegas. And he said there was a lady in his church there that we're actually just going to call the Las Vegas Sandwich Lady because her ministry was to go out onto the streets of Las Vegas, hand out sandwiches to the homeless, strike up a conversation, develop a friendship, pray with them, share the good news with them. And it was through... Uh, her relationship, her friendship with Mike, um, that she was able to lead this 50-year-old homeless man to Christ. And my friend Chris was able to baptize him there in the church, and he shared this story in chapel that day. And I thought to myself, wow, what a cool story of reaching out to the lost, when all of a sudden it hit me like a lightning bolt out of the blue. What I suddenly realized was that I knew what what my friend Chris didn't know, what Mike the homeless guy could never have known, I knew the rest of the story. I knew that Mike's story actually started some 60 years before um, in a little bitty town called Gilbert, Arkansas, uh, with a man named Walter Goodman. Now, Walter Goodman was a layman. He was a vanilla salesman uh, in the little bitty church there in Gilbert, Arkansas. Population 100, by the way. I've been to Gilbert. Probably most of you haven't. Maybe Vance has. Um, but, but little bitty Gilbert, Arkansas, Walter Goodman uh, was in the church there. And there was a young man in that little bitty community. He was a high schooler, all-star basketball player. And his name was Roy Wheeler. And uh, Roy Wheeler was actually... Uh, dating one of Walter Goodman's daughters. And through the witness of the Goodman family, Roy Wheeler eventually gave his life to Christ. And when Roy graduated from high school, uh, Walter Goodman sat down with Roy and he said, Roy, so what are you going to do with your life? And Roy Wheeler said, well, I said, I don't know. And Walter Goodman said, well, I'll tell you what I think you ought to do. He said, I, I think you ought to go to Ozark Christian College and you ought to go play basketball for him. And who knows, maybe someday God will make you a preacher. And Roy Wheeler said, <laughs> okay. 
And so, uh, in the fall of 1950, with a, a little bit of, of financial help from Walter Goodman, Roy Wheeler enrolled at Ozark Christian College. Now, he'd only been a student for a couple of months when Roy Wheeler walked into the office of the president there at Ozark, President Edwin Strong. Roy Wheeler said, President Strong, won't you help me get a preaching ministry, a little church on the weekends that I can go preach at every, every weekend? President Strong said, oh, Roy, uh, to be honest, I'm not really sure you're ready for that. I mean, you know, you're a freshman, only been here a couple months. Besides, I've been watching you. And kind of seems to me that you're only interested in, in basketball and girls. And Roy Wheeler said, oh, no, sir, you're wrong. I'm interested in girls and then basketball. <laughs> and, and President Strong laughed. And, uh, and he kind of took, took Roy Wheeler under his wing and kind of began to mentor him and pour into him. And eventually he did help Roy Wheeler uh, get a little preaching ministry. And when he did, um, you know, Roy said, what, what, what do I do? I've never had preaching ministry. How do I do this? President Strong. President Strong said, well, you just preach the Bible. Just preach the Bible. And you tell those folks that Jesus loves all kinds of people. They need to reach all kinds of people. Jesus loves all kinds of people. Roy Wheeler graduated from Ozark Christian College, and eventually went down to a little bit church in Amarillo, Texas, Paramount Terrace Christian Church. They were running about 180, maybe 200 folks at that church, and, and Roy Wheeler began to preach the Bible and just tell those folks that Jesus loves all kinds of people, and that little church began to grow. Uh, Paramount Terrace Christian Church down in Amarillo, Texas, called Hillside Christian Church now, that church runs over 8,000 people these days. In the 1980s, there was a young man that walked in the doors of Paramount Terrace Christian Church there in Amarillo, Texas. He was a, uh, he was a teenager. His name was Judd Wilhite. Now, Judd Wilhite at the time was, uh, Strung out on, on drugs, alcohol. He was, he was, uh, addicted to alcohol and addicted to drugs and his life was falling apart and he'd hit rock bottom. And that's why he walked in the doors of that church, Paramount Terrace. When he did, he was met by some folks who'd heard a lot of sermons on how Jesus loves all kinds of people. And so they just welcomed in this stoner kid with open arms and they kind of began to answer his questions, help him pick up the pieces of his life. In fact, Roy Wheeler took Judd Wilhite underneath his arm and began to mentor him. Eventually said to Judd, you Judd, you know what I think you ought to do with your life? I think you ought to be a preacher. And today, Judd Wilhite is the preacher of Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, and that church runs over 20,000 people. Now, I've known Judd for a long time, and I heard Judd one time tell the story of a, of a young man in his congregation there named Cody, and we're actually going to call him Cody the Fisherman, because Cody's vocation, his occupation, was a professional fisherman. That's how he made his living. That is until he got caught up in the throes of a drug addiction. He got, he got addicted to crack cocaine. And eventually ended up selling his, his professional fishing boat, ended up selling his house to pay for drugs. Cody ended up homeless on the streets of Las Vegas. In fact, at one point, um, Cody was living across the street from Central Christian Church there in Vegas, just living out in field. And he said at, the, at that point in his life, he hadn't had a bath or shower for over three months. He said he smelled so bad, even the other homeless guys didn't want to hang around him. That was pretty bad. And, uh, and Cody would later say that, that he had heard that that church across the street, that big old church, Central Christian Church, that uh, they would give you a hot meal and a hot shower if you walked in the door. Now, Cody didn't want anything to do with God, wasn't interested in that, but he knew he needed a shower. And so one Sunday morning, uh, Cody walked in the doors of Central Christian Church there in Las Vegas. Now, he was met by a lady there 
in the lobby named Michelle. And we're just going to call her Michelle the soccer mom because she was just an ordinary soccer mom. She was just a volunteer greeter there in the lobby of the church that day. And as soon as she saw Cody walk in the door across the lobby, she could immediately read the situation. You know, long, gaunt face, long, dirty beard, dirty clothes. She could smell him even across the lobby. She knew that he was homeless. But she'd heard, I don't know how many sermons on how Jesus loves all kinds of people. And so she walked right up to Cody the fisherman, and first words out of her mouth, she said, you look like you could use a hug. He was taken aback. He said, oh, no, ma'am, you, you don't want to hug me. I don't, I don't smell. And she didn't even wait for him to finish. She just wrapped him up in the biggest bear hug you've ever seen. And she said, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Now, Cody would later say it was at that moment that God began to soften his heart. Two weeks later, Cody was baptized into Christ. Now, fast forward four years. Cody is now uh, clean. He's off of drugs. He's, he's married. He's got his own little business. He's serving there in the church. When one night Cody comes home and he hears on the news a story, the mayor of Las Vegas had just instituted a new policy that it was now illegal to feed the homeless on the streets of Las Vegas. Vegas was once voted the meanest city in America to the homeless. And so it was now a citywide policy. You could not hand out food in public places to the homeless. And when Cody the Fisherman heard that on the news, he thought to himself, well, that's not right. I mean, Jesus loves all kinds of uh, people. And so Cody the Fisherman decided to take the mayor of Las Vegas to court to challenge this policy on constitutional grounds. Now, the mayor of Las Vegas was himself a lawyer. So on the day of the proceedings, I mean, on this side of the courtroom, you've got the mayor of Las Vegas, his entire legal team and their power suits and power ties and briefcases. On this side of the courtroom, you've got Cody the fisherman and his one lawyer. <laughs> and, and you know what the, you know what the judge said? The judge, she said, she said, Cody, I think you're right. This is unconstitutional, and she overturned the policy. And today, today, it is legal to feed the homeless on the streets of Las Vegas because of Cody the fisherman. All of which means this. As I sat there in chapel that day, hearing my friend Chris Duncan tell the story of baptizing Mike the homeless guy, I realized that the reason Mike the homeless guy became a Christian was because of the ministry of Las Vegas sandwich lady, and it was legal for her to be handing out those sandwiches in the first place because of Cody the fisherman who had experienced the love of God that transformed his life from Michelle the soccer mom who'd heard so many sermons on how Jesus loves all kinds of people from Judd Wilhite who himself had experienced that love at Paramount Terrace Christian Church under the ministry of Roy Wheeler who was a preacher in the first place because of a vanilla salesman in Gilbert, Arkansas that said, Roy Wheeler, I think you ought to go to Bible college and become a preacher. Now, I, I'm sure that Walter Goodman had no idea the, the ripple effect, the thousands of lives that would be changed by that one conversation. But I do know this, Walter Goodman knew that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Now, I, uh, I ran track when I was in high school. I was um, in the third leg of the 4 by 800 meter relay. And if uh, our coach said this to us once, he said it to us a dozen times, he'd say, uh, boys, races are won and lost at the passing of the baton. I knew that no matter how hard I had run my leg of the race, my job was not complete until I had successfully passed that baton to the next runner. There is no success without 
a successor. One of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves in any area of life, whether it's home, whether it's at work, or in the church, the most important question we can ask ourselves is this, who's taking my baton? Am I passing the baton to the next generation? Somebody put it this way, the legacy of each generation is the leadership of the next. Now that's true. No matter how impressive your accomplishments might be, your legacy is not complete until you have raised up those in the next generation who will carry on the work after you are gone. Races are won and lost at the passing of the baton. Now, nobody knew that better than Jesus. And if you got your Bibles, I don't know if you brought them with you here today, but I do want to anchor our whole kind of workshop time in a text today. And so I want to look at Matthew chapter 9 and 10. Matthew chapter 9 and 10 is uh, the passage I want to look at here with you. And uh, if you didn't have your Bible, I've got the, the text up on the screen. And so uh, read along. We're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35. We're going to read down through chapter 10, verse 4. This one paragraph, this is the calling of the 12 disciples. Here's, here's the text. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he called his 12 disciples to him. This chapter 10, verse 1. And he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, let me stop right there. You know this, this text. You're familiar with this, right? Um, Jesus going around, you know, he's preaching, healing, casting out demons, the most powerful ministry the world has ever seen. Uh, but Jesus knows two things. Number one, he knows he's not going to be around very long. Uh, he's only got three years uh, as he's starting his ministry until the cross, resurrection, ascension. And so Jesus knows the uh, races are won and lost the passing of the time. So what does he do? He calls these 12 men to him. And scholars tell us these guys were probably between the ages of 18 to 25. So these are college-age guys And Jesus is going to spend the majority, the bulk of his ministry, he's going to spend most of his time pouring into these 12 guys, these preachers to be. In other words, Jesus starts his own little Bible college right here. And and he does that because if he wants his ministry to carry on after those three years, he's got to raise up that next generation. That's the first thing he knows, that he's not going to be around long. Number two, he knows 12 is not going to be enough, right? Uh, what does he tell them? He says, look out here, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so, hey, disciples, yeah, I'm passing you the baton, but you're going to need to pass the baton to the next generation. You're going to have to ask the Lord to raise up even more workers for the harvest field. Let the relay continue. Let the chain remain unbroken. Pass that baton from generation to generation. Keep the ministry pipeline full. The legacy of each generation is the leadership of the next. Now, if I could just kind of put my workshop talk here um, in, in a single sentence for you here today, this, this would be it. We are called as the church to raise up the next generation of vocational Christian 
leaders. That's it. That's what I came to say. That that is our responsibility as the church to raise up the next generation of vocational Christian leaders, young men, young women, who will spend their working lives, their working hours, preaching the word and, and reaching the lost and leading the church and advancing the kingdom of God. That's our call. Now, for 27 years, I, I'm a preacher, all right? Um, but for 27 years, I've also been a teacher of preachers there at the Bible college. And like, this is my life passion. This, this is what I do. I am literally pouring myself into the next generation of vocational Christian leaders because I have one very simple but very deep conviction, and it's this. Preaching the Word of God really matters. Can I just get an amen on that one here today? Now, you know, and I know, that that statement sounds very silly to a lot of people in the world. Preaching really matters. That's, I mean, you know, what different, I mean, you've heard jokes about preaching. I've heard jokes about preaching. I will tell you a joke about preaching. Um, you heard the one about the, the preacher, the elder, and the deacon who went out in the woods deer hunting. And they're up in the tree in their stand. Huge buck crosses the clearing. The preacher and the elder both raise their rifle simultaneously, fire at the exact same time. Buck goes down, but they don't know which one of them shot the deer. Deacon hops out of the deer stand, says, wait right here, brothers. I'll, I'll go check it out. I'll tell you who shot the deer. Runs across the clearing, bends over, at the, you know, checks the deer out, stands back up, hollers back. It's the preacher's buck. The preacher shot the deer. You know, the elder hollers back, says, well, how, how do you know? How, how can you tell? Deacon says, well, I can, I can see right here the, the, the bullet went in one ear and right out the other. <laughs> and that's what people think about preaching, and you know I'm right, all right? Preaching's a joke. Preaching's a punchline. You know, preaching doesn't make any real difference in the real world. You know, I mean, what, what in the world does preaching matter? But next, next slide here, you know um, this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible paints a completely different picture because it says that actually pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Did you catch that? God chose the foolishness of preaching to save the world. Um, I teach preaching classes at, at the Bible college. I still get to do a little bit of that around the edges. And, um, and, and I, I tell my, my preaching guys in my preaching class that um, when they stand up to preach and they open up this word, this book right here can transform lives. This truth can change people. And and can I, can I tell you when I am reminded of this the most? Uh, it's when I'm preaching a bad sermon. Now, if you're a preacher in here, I'm sure this never happens to you, but I'm just telling you that sometimes, uh, for me, uh, I'm up on a Sunday morning. I, you know, I still preach quite a bit and, uh, and I'm preaching along and I can just tell, Hey, it's not working today. Uh, you know, I, when I was in Bible college, I, I had a friend, um, at one, one weekend, we were both students and he went out to go preach at this little church and, uh, and he could tell the sermon that morning was bad. I mean, it was just no good. It was just this belly flop of a sermon. Um, and, and he knew it was bad and the church people knew it was bad, but church people are super nice, right? And, uh, and so when he's at the back door shaking everybody's hands as they're leaving, they're all saying, oh, nice job, nice job, nice sermon, nice job. One lady said, nice try. <laughs> Uh, I have preached my share of nice try sermons, all right? Anybody else? And, uh, and on those days when I can tell, man, I am just not connecting today, on those days, I kind of just want to get done as quick as I can, get out of there and try again next week, right? You know, I'm a little disappointed, I'm a little embarrassed, and so we're just going to sing one verse of, you know, the invitation song, decision song, whatever, because I just want to get out of there as quick as I can. But God, 
in his great celestial sense of humor, will often give me my best response to my worst sermons. Yeah, you know, just kind of remind me that it's not about me, right? And so I'm preaching this, this clunker of a sermon, and man, it's just going over like a lead balloon. And, uh, and, and I just, we're singing the one, one verse of that song, I want to get out of there as fast as I can, but lo and behold, Folks are walking down the aisle and people are making decisions for Christ. And here's this lady and she's shaking my hand and she's saying, oh, you you have no idea how that touched me. And I'm thinking, you're right. I have no idea how that <laughs> touched you. And yet, and yet, if I'm honest, I do know how that touched her. Because even if my words were terrible, if I have been faithful to God's word, this book still has the power to transform lives. Were you in Aaron Brockett's you know, session last time? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. The promise of Isaiah chapter 55 is this, that my Word, which goes out from my mouth, will not return to me void or empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. I, there's a, a preacher, I love what one preacher says, a preacher named Leonard Sweet. And he says that on the front cover of his Bible, he has, he has these three letters engraved right there on his front Bible. It just says TNT. Because he says this book is a stick of dynamite. This book can blast sinful fixations. It can explode old habits. It can detonate new devotion. This book can release enough energy to move any mountain and mend any life. And he says, he says, if I hear one more time some Christian sigh and say, oh, well, the church just can't compete with Hollywood. He says, I'm going to twist somebody's tongue. He says, it is Hollywood that can't compete with the Holy Word. Nothing on earth can compare with the power of God's Word to transform lives. And that's why I tell my preaching guys in preaching class that when they stand up on a Sunday morning and they open up this book, oh, oh, physical eyes. Physical eyes may just see some guy getting ready to monologue for 30 minutes from some ancient dusty old book, but spiritual eyes. See something completely different because I am telling you that at that moment, there are 10,000 angels that are leaning over the balconies of heaven and they are holding their breath, hoping, hoping that this time these souls will really hear. And there are 10,000 demons that are glaring up through the gates of hell and they are gritting their teeth uh, because they hope, they hope that no one will pay attention. The air is electric. It is charged with supernatural possibilities because all of heaven and all of hell knows that at that moment, eternity literally hangs in the balance. And if this word that is preached is humbly received, those lives will never be the same. Proud hearts will be broken. Wounded spirits will be bound up. Spiritual adrenaline will surge through weary souls. Final, eternal destinies will be forever altered. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save the world. And preaching really matters. All of which means this. We need more preachers. We need more Youth ministers, we need more children's ministers, we need more church planters, we need more missionaries, we need more young men and women who will give their working lives to taking the truth of this word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. The title of this, of this workshop, The Shrinking Ministry Pipeline, not original phrase with me at all, but probably you've heard it. You, know, you want to pop that next slide up there, Alyssa? Um, there was a, a uh, article in the Christian Standard, which is a magazine some of you may be familiar with, um, just last year entitled The Shrinking Ministry Pop, uh, Pipeline. You can pop that out there, uh, that next one. And, and among the independent Christian churches, the article was pinpointing this problem that we don't have enough next generation ministers 
to lead our churches. At the Bible College, I get calls all the time from churches wanting preachers, youth ministers, children's ministers, worship ministers, whatever it is. And, and I, for every 25 calls, I bet I have one name to give them. And we're one of the biggest Bible colleges there are in our movement. I'm, I, but, but there's just so many needs and not enough workers. And this isn't just an independent Christian churches thing. Um, if you just Google that phrase, shrinking ministry pipeline, you'll find articles by the Presbyterians and by the Lutherans and by the Acts 29 uh, church planning network. And everybody's talking about we don't have enough next generation leaders for the kingdom work that needs to be done. Uh, next bullet point, um, Barna actually put out a report called The State of Pastors. It's about four or five years ago talking about this very problem. And in that report, next bullet point, um, the, the report showed that the average age of U.S. pastors was 57. Now, that's up from about 20 years ago when it was closer to 50. And the point is, pastors are getting older and younger pastors aren't coming in to replace them. Right now, half of the ministers in the United States of America, this is just the U.S., half of them are over 55. And only one in seven of them are under the age of 40. The baby boomer generation, largest generation in American history, is retiring right now. They're at the ages. They're stepping out. And we don't have enough folks to step in. They don't have anybody to pass the baton to. And guess what? We're not, I mean, we're not just called, you understand, to raise up ministers at a replacement rate for the U.S., We are actually called to increase the tribe of vocational Christian workers because the harvest is plentiful. And it's not just for the U.S., it's for the globe. In fact, um, I brought a quiz with me. Um, I'm a teacher. It's what I do. And so uh, four questions. Let's see how well you do. All right. Um, Here's question number one. We're in Indiana, right? Um, And so did you know this, that independent Christian churches, uh, Indiana has an independent Christian church for every 10,000 people in the state. That's the ratio right here in the state. If we wanted to reach that same ratio in the New York City metro area, how many churches do you think we'd need to plant in the New York City metro area? Yeah, The answer is 2,000. 2,000 churches to reach that same ratio. Who's going to plant those churches? Question two. Here we go. Of the 6,500 world languages, how many of those languages have no Bible translated, no portion of Scripture translated? Answer, about 3,000. Who's going to translate those scriptures? Question three. Of the 16,000 people groups, ethnic groups in the world, how many of those are unreached? And we define unreached as less than 2% of that population, that people group, are Christians. How many of those 16,000 people groups? Answer, almost 7,000. Who's going to reach those people groups? Last question, question four. Um, How many people die without Christ around the world every minute? Every minute. Answer, 72. More than one a second as I'm standing here. Someone going into a Christless eternity. Who will reach those souls with the good news of Jesus Christ? Hear me. The harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few. So the call for us as a church is to be intentional, extra intentional, super intentional about raising up the next generation of vocational Christian leaders, men and women who will use their working lives to advance the kingdom, share the good news of Christ, preach the word, reach the lost, lead the church. 
Now, can I spend the minutes that I have left just talking about some practical ways to do that? I wanted to talk a little bit about why, but let me talk about how. All right, and and I want to frame this up. Um, just I'm going to make three practical suggestions, three big broad categories. I'm going to frame them up as questions, okay? And oh, I got a I got a boogie. All right, here we go. Ready? All right. Uh, question number one. Right? Will you say something? Will you say something? Um, next slide. In our text, uh, Jesus calls his twelve disciples. Right? So, in other words, he spoke to them. He, one version says, he summoned them. He called them. He, he challenged them to join him in this work of ministry. He did not sit back and quietly wait, hoping that maybe they would get interested in ministry. He spoke up. He took initiative. He was proactive and he said something. He called them. Would you say something? You can go back to our next, our next slide there. Um, would you plant seed thoughts in the minds of young potential kingdom leaders, would you speak up and say something that, hey, have you ever thought about measuring? You know what? You might make a good... Pre- would, would, you, would you just be on the lookout constantly for young men and women who might have kingdom leadership potential? Now, those young men and women might be the you know cream of the crop, the A-plus students, the best kids in the youth group, because you know what? God's mission in the world deserves the very best. But on the other hand, uh, I am reminded, you know, George, when George W. Bush was president, um, he went to go um, speak at his alma mater. He was speaking at it was Yale University as their commencement, graduation exercises. And so uh, George W. Bush stands up at, uh, at the graduation ceremony and he says, uh, to those of you today, um, honor students who are graduating with straight A's, I say to you, congratulations. And to those of you C-minus students today, I say, you too could be president of the United States, all right? And, uh, and you know what? God, God has a long history of using the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And it might be the A-plus kid in the youth group, but it might be that C-minus kid in the youth group. It might be that squirrely kid who just cannot sit still. And yet, you can see kingdom potential. Would you say something to that kid? Would you just plant a seed thought? D.P. Schaefer was 80 years old, preaching every single Sunday in Connettville, Pennsylvania. One Sunday, they were having a youth Sunday, and as part of the youth service that Sunday morning, um, there was a little boy, first grade little boy, who got up on stage and quoted from memory a long portion of John chapter 14 that he had memorized. And after the service, D.P. Schaefer went up to that little boy, tussled his head, he said, young man, he said, that was outstanding. He said, that was great. You'd make a good preacher someday. Well, that little first grade boy never forgot those words. That little boy's name was Bob Russell. Went to... Um, you know, preach at Southeast Christian Church, saw that church grow to 20,000 plus people. And D.P. Schaefer knew that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Would you say something? Number two question, will you pay something? Will you pay something? Now, in our text, um, next slide there, Matthew chapter 10, uh, just beyond the verses that we read, as Jesus sends these 12 out to go minister, um, this is what he actually says to them. He says, do not take along any gold or silver or copper. Don't take any money with you. Um, instead, he's, he's saying, let the, those in the villages, those uh, let those folks support you. Why? Because the worker is worthy of his support. Um, and so what I'm saying is, would you invest financially in those young, upcoming vocational Christian leaders. Now, I'm a Bible college president. You probably expected me to talk about money because, like, that's what we do, right? That's a big, uh, you know, percentage of my job description is fundraising. And you know, when a Bible college president dies, um, the Bible verse that they put on his tombstone is Luke 16, 22. And then the beggar died. He, this is me. This is my life, right? And, uh, 
And, and, and to be honest, you know, people come up to me and they say, oh, man, I can never do what you do, you know, going around asking people for money, you know, fundraising, you know. And, and to be honest, it wasn't what I dreamed of as a kid. I wasn't like, oh, I hope I get to grow up and be a professional fundraiser someday. But I absolutely believe in our mission. I mean, we're like, I get to spend all day, every day, just training men and women to go tell people about Jesus. And if raising dollars will raise those leaders, I'll ask for money eight days a week. Uh, because, listen, as United States taxpayers, um, the, the United States Army has West Point, Military Academy at West Point. And as U.S. taxpayers, we underwrite the education of those West Point cadets. Why? Because we believe that for our nation's battles or physical battles, that leadership really matters. Well, guess what? The church has Bible colleges and seminaries to train up leaders for our spiritual battles. And it's right for us to help underwrite their education because we believe that in the spiritual battle, that leadership really matters. And here's what I love telling people, um, that when you, that when you invest a dollar in a young person and you help them get training or you give to a Bible college or whatever, when you financially invest, the return, the return on that kingdom investment is huge. And it's eternal. Um, can I show you a picture real quick? Um, next, next slide here. Uh, this is my son Luke. Okay. Now let me tell you about my son Luke. When Luke was in high school, um, he's a good kid. I uh, love Jesus, um, but he's a squirrely kid. I mean, he uh, just was. He's a uh, you know high adrenaline, uh, you know kind of adrenaline junkie. Loves to take risks. Loves to play pranks. He's always getting in you know trouble at school for all this kind of stuff. And I I can I can say that he was never arrested in high school. All right. But I did get called at 2 a.m. in the morning once by the police and had to go down to the jail and pick him up because of a prank that he had pulled. All right. This was, he's a good natured kid and he did love Jesus, but he was just a, he was just a squirrely kid. All right. And he's actually a really smart kid. He got a big academic scholarship to go to University of Missouri. Um, but right at the end of his senior year, all of a sudden God just got a hold of him. I'd been trying, I'd been praying for him, but not, didn't want to pressure him, but God got a hold of him and he's like, dad, I just, I think I need to go into ministry. I was like, okay. And so he gave up his big scholarship to Mizzou and decided to enroll at the Bible college. And I said, that's awesome. We'll be glad to have you. But I sat Luke down. I said, here's what you need to do. I said, before classes start, I want you to go into the dean of students office, Monty's office. Um, I want you to go in the dean of students office. And I want you to introduce yourself because before this year is done, you will end up in his office, prank boy. And, uh, and you're going to want to have a pre-existing relationship there. And, and so he laughed, ha, 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 ha. And, uh, and he did it. You know, he went in, he introduced himself. And let me tell you about this picture. So his freshman year at, uh, at Bible college, he had speech class. He knew he was going to have to do a demonstration speech. And so all semester long, he'd been growing his hair out, right? And, uh, and so when it came day for demonstration speech, he brought in these clippers. And the title of his speech was, How to Give Yourself a Mullet. All right? And so right there, uh, you can see the picture. He literally in class just gave himself a mullet. He'd been trying to grow a mustache to go with it all semester, but it didn't work. So that's Sharpie marker right there that you see. No lie. Uh, he's such a dork and we're entirely proud of the boy. But uh, anyways, this is my, this is my son. All right. Now that's, that's the before picture. Okay. That's the before picture. Can I show you the after picture? Okay. Um, this, this is my son, Luke now. And uh, he married to a wonderful, uh, beautiful young lady, godly young lady that he met there at Ozark. Um, I have three beautiful kids, my grandkids. In fact, can I tell you, can I tell you how he and Rebecca met? Um, 
So Rebecca that you see there, she was a student at the Bible college too. She was a student assistant in the dean of students office. <laughs> I kid you not. He was in there so much. They struck up a friendship. He talked her into dating him and they got married. And, uh, and now Luke actually preaches at a church here in Indianapolis. There's a, it's a good church. That they run about 2,500 people. And he's, and he's 29 years old and he's the lead minister of this church. And, and can I just tell you uh, that I, when, I, when I go around and talk to churches that support our, our school, I, just, I show them these pictures and I tell them, thank you. Because when my son came to Ozark, look at the before, he was not ready to do any of that. He wasn't ready to be a godly husband. He wasn't ready to be a godly father. He wasn't ready to preach the word or lead a church. But I'm telling you that there at our college, there were godly men and women that came around him and they poured into him and they invested him and they challenged him and they discipled him and they taught him. And, and next, next picture real quick. When I, This was not that long ago. I went to Plainfield Christian Church where Luke preaches on what they call Baptism Sunday. And and they had, uh, I, you know, Luke preached a, a sermon from, uh, you know, First Peter three, baptism now saves you. And 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 at invitation time, I watched twenty three people come down the aisle and got to watch my son baptize him into Christ. I I used to think the greatest joy in ministry was baptizing somebody into Jesus, and that is a high and holy honor. But now I think the greatest joy in ministry is getting to watch somebody that you have taught and that you have trained baptize um, people into Christ. Um, somebody put it this way. Um, my fruit grows on other people's trees. And I tell the donors to our college that, hey, like, that's your fruit. Those 23 baptisms, that's your fruit growing on Luke's tree. You helped invest in him. And I'm telling you what, that the investment that you make in, in a kingdom leader is huge and it's eternal. And your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise, will you pay something? Here's the, here's the last one. Um, Will you pray something? Will you pray something? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this little basket around. Um, just take one of these as this basket comes around. Uh, next slide in our text, Jesus, of course, says this. He says, he specifically tells us to pray for this thing we're talking about here. All right. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Can I just ask you, is that a part of your regular prayer life? Are you praying for the next generation of vocational Christian leaders? Is that something that is on your prayer life? This little um, basket that's coming around, I'd um, love for you to take one of these little keychain tags. And on one side, it says Ozark, of course, but on the other side, it just says Matthew 9, 38. Um, pray for more harvest workers. Would you take that? Would you put that somewhere where you can use that as a prayer reminder? Maybe it's on your keychain. Maybe it's on, you know, your bathroom mirror or your, or your, you know, wherever you do your quiet time or whatever, would you just pray for more harvest workers? Maybe you know of a young person and you're going to start praying for them every day by name. That'd be the best thing you could possibly do. Um, I got, I got like one minute. Can I, let me, let me close this way. Um, let me tell you my, my personal story. Okay. My, my testimony. I grew up uh, knowing I was supposed to be a preacher. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, Every Sunday, the ritual was the same. My hometown preacher, um, his name was, was Bill Hauser. Um, we called him Brother Bill. And, um, and every Sunday when I was in seventh grade, he had this little liturgy, this little ritual that he would do with me every Sunday. Uh, he'd preach his sermon. He'd stand at the back door, shake everybody's hands as they're leaving. And it was my turn to shake his hand. Every Sunday, he'd ask me the same two questions. This was our ritual. This was our liturgy. He'd, uh, he'd grab my hand and he'd say, he'd say, Matt, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I'd say, 
a preacher. Because <laughs> puberty's a killer, man. And, uh, and he'd say, where are you going to go to college? And I'd say, what's our Christian college? And he'd say, that's my boy. And he'd slap me on the back and he'd send me out the door. And I just knew growing up I was supposed to be a preacher, right? But when I got into high school, um, I was a very good student in high school, National Merit Finalist, got a big academic scholarship to go to the University of Iowa. And, uh, and, and when I got into high school, I pulled a Jonah. I ran away from the call of God on my life. I decided I was going to um, go chase all the things the world had to offer. So I scrapped my plans for Bible college, scrapped my plans for ministry, ended up enrolling at the University of Iowa as a journalism major. Some of you know the name Tom Brokaw, went to the University of Iowa. I was going to go be the next Tom Brokaw, make my name, fame, fortune in the world, all that. And that year at the University of Iowa, my freshman year, not a good year for me spiritually. I was a prodigal son in a far country. I was not living under the Lordship of Christ. Um, but the following summer, after my freshman year there at the University of Iowa, um, I, uh, I, I got a job actually working at a Christian camp. I liked working outdoors. Um, and so I was working at a Christian camp, and I would cut the grass and, you know, chop the wood for the, you know, campfires and wash the dishes, go pick up the trash, all that stuff. Um, I liked working outdoors. And, of course, at this uh, church camp, every night they would have chapel. And I would usually go and I would, I would stand right inside the back door during the worship time because I kind of, I liked the music. I thought the worship band was kind of cool. But when the preacher would get up to preach, I would always leave because I didn't want to hear it. You know, didn't want to be convicted, right? Um, but during the ninth grade week of camp, um, the preacher for that week was this little bitty guy named Bob Martin. Now, Bob Martin was maybe 5'4", you know, 5'5 five, five on a good day, just a short little guy who was not what you would think of as a dynamic youth speaker. He's not going to stand on stage at a big youth conference and preach to thousands of teenagers. Um, but, um, but, but during that ninth grade week of camp, when Bob Martin would get up to preach, I'd be standing at the back, and for whatever reason, I couldn't leave. I mean, his words just reached out and and grabbed a hold of me, and, and I was just transfixed. And, and all week long, the Holy Spirit just began to do this blitz on my heart. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to a week of church camp, but if you have, you know kind of how it goes, that the last night of camp, you know, for us it was always Thursday night, always a super emotional night, right? Preacher gets up, preaches, you know, this blistering, convicting sermon, and they offer the invitation time, and it's super emotional, and there's always like this whole, you know, uh, herd of, of, of crying junior high girls that come down the aisle at, at, at you know, and they're going to rededicate their life to Jesus for the 17th time. You know I'm right about that. And, uh, and that's just how every week of camp ever has gone. And this ninth grade week of camp was no different. Bob Martin got up and he preached a, he preached a, a convicting sermon. And at the invitation time, they're playing the song. And sure enough, this whole little, uh, you know, crowd of crying ninth grade girls walks down the aisle and standing right in the middle of them was one college freshman guy. And I, um, I just had to stand in front of that camp and repent and just say, I, I've been running from the Lord. I've been, I, it's time for me to get right. And I know that for me, that means going to Bible college and being a preacher. And what I, what I did not know at the time, I found this out later, um, what I did not know at the time is that, is, is that Bob Martin knew my story. He knew that I was a Jonah, right? Um, because what I did not know at the time, I found this out later, um, my hometown preacher, Brother Bill, was Bob Martin's brother-in-law. <laughs> and he had ratted me out, man. He told on me. And, uh, and what I did not know at the time, I found this out later, was that Bob Martin had fasted that entire week. And he had prayed every single day for me by name. And I'm convinced the only reason I'm standing up here today is because Bob Martin prayed me back into the kingdom and prayed me right into ministry. 
Now what I'm saying is, who is it that needs you to pray them into ministry? We are called as the church to raise up the next generation of vocational kingdom leaders. Will you say something? Will you pay something? But most especially, will you pray something? Because your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Thanks for joining our podcast again today. We hope it's been really helpful for you. Just as a reminder, if you haven't checked out the 2024 National Gathering yet, go on to Renew.org, grab your tickets today. There'll be great content just like you heard today. Tons of track sessions, breakouts to choose from, great main session worship, great main session teaching. We'd love for you to be a part of it, especially if you haven't been in the past or if you've been 10 times. We want you to be a part of it and we just love to see you there.